Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You promised to abide with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, right now in this moment, we're grateful that you've chosen to visit us right now with your peace that passes all understanding. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. If you're here this morning and you're just carrying a burden, Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Father, right now in your presence, as we experience the peace that comes with your presence, we lay our every burden, our every concern, the things that worry us, we lay them at your feet now. And we experience the unforced rhythms of your grace. The unforced rhythms of your grace in this moment. And we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, we ask you to flood this place and to fill this atmosphere. Your glory. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. More than anything else, it's your glory, it's your presence that we yearn for. Sometimes we look for it in all the wrong places, but ultimately, what we desire, what we yearn for, is your glory, it's your presence. Just as the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. So Lord, we invite you now, not just into this place corporately, but into our lives personally. And we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Thank you, Lord. I just sense in my heart this morning that there might be some carrying burdens. Things that have overtaken your thoughts and have maybe overwhelmed you. This morning, the Lord invites you, if that's you, he invites you to roll the care of it onto him. In fact, the scripture says, cast all of your burdens unto him because he cares. And the picture there in the Greek is, is in Bible times, uh, uh, merchants would load down their camels and their donkeys, their beasts of burden with heavy loads. And when they came to a place where they could rest, what the camel would do is the camel would kneel and then turn to one side. And when it turned to one side, the load or the burden would roll off its back. That's what the scripture means when it says, cast all your burdens unto the Lord. 
That word burden means two minds. It's a word that means, it's a word marimna in the Greek that means two minds. When we're double-minded, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I know what your word says, but I know how real my circumstances are in this moment. Lord, I want to choose you, but this thing is so real, so what do I do? And the Lord says, cast all of your burdens. Take a knee. And the way I like to say it is, stop, drop, and roll. Stop in the midst of your anxiety, drop to your knees, and roll all of the cares you carry unto him. Because he is present right now. He is present right now. Come on, Converge, let's do this now. Wherever you are, in your own way, in your own words, just lift up your prayer to God. Whatever it is you've been carrying, and I'll lead in prayer, but in your own words right now, just invite God into your situation and your circumstances. And I said this a few weeks ago, when we pray, we're not informing God of the problem because he already knows. The scripture says our God knows what things we have need of even before we ask. So prayer doesn't inform God, prayer invites God. So Lord, right now, right where we are, Lord, you know each of us by name and by nature. God, you know what things we have need of even before we ask. Yet you said, ask and we shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Father, so right now we do that. We lift up our voices and we say, God, we invite you into our situation and our circumstances, the things that we are unable or incapable to fix or to undo. And we say, God, you be the burden lifter in Jesus' name. And we thank you, God, for your promise that in all things, in all things, in all things, God, you said we should be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And your promise, God, is that your peace that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we lay the burden of our children we lay the burden of our finances. We lay the burden of our future before you. And we say, God, have your way. We invite you now, God, to do what only you can do. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overwhelmed by your presence. In Jesus' name. Would you just now, right where you are, just receive the peace of God? Yeah, yeah, the peace of God. Yeah. Even when we can't see it, he's working. And even when we can't feel it, he's working. He never stops. Right now, the Lord is moving on your behalf. And I believe that there will be some of you in this room who will testify that your circumstances have changed for the better because you've rolled all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your burdens upon the Lord, and it happened in the presence of the Lord. 
We give you the glory and the honor for it, Father, now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And Amen. Glory to God. Aren't you grateful for the presence of God this morning? Yeah, yeah. Glory to God. The scripture declares in the Psalms that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Sometimes all we need to get our joy back, to get our peace back, is to make our way into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray and we'll dive into the word together. Father, we love you. We honor you and we thank you for your presence and your power. This morning, we also thank you for your peace. And as we look to your word, I thank you that you will encourage, you will inspire, you will uplift. And God, you might even challenge us in some areas. And we're open to that as well. Lord, we say, have your way. Do what you desire to do. God, this morning, we ask you to settle down and throw your weight around in this place. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Have your way in this place in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, today we begin our second installment in our sermon series that we're calling Ghost Stories. We started last week on Pentecost Sunday. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through what the scriptures have to say about the person, the purpose, the power, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. We landed in John chapter 16, and that's where we find our anchor text. We'll revisit the text this morning. The text will give us context this morning regarding the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll revisit briefly uh, the promise made, but we're going to spend the lion's share of our time this morning on the promise fulfilled. And what we're going to focus on is how we can create and cultivate spaces in our lives where the presence of God can reside, where God chooses to abide, where the power of God can reside in our lives. We're going to talk about the conditions, the atmospheres that are conducive to cultivating a spirit-filled and a spirit-led life. Are you with me? So we're going to talk a little bit about the promise made, but ultimately we're going to really dive into the promise fulfilled. We're going to look at John 16, and then after that we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter number 2. You guys know here at Converge we are sticklers for the word. We encourage you to crack open your Bible if you have one. I'm old school, and one of my favorite things to hear at church is the turning of pages. Come on, somebody. But those of you who are technologically savvy, come on. Y'all can pull out your smartphone, your smart device. Uh, we are on the Version Bible app. So if you go to the Version Bible app and you click events, all the churches in the area should pop up. You should see Converge Church, and you can follow along there in your notes. Some of you are old school. You like to write on a piece of paper with a pen. We encourage you to capture the notes uh, from this sermon and listen uh, to what the Lord will say about what I say. Amen? Uh, listen for what God will say to you about what I say from the pulpit. Amen? Because God has a unique way of taking this same message and communicating something very specific to each one of us. Right. Highlighting 
and amplifying things that I say that are unique to your situation. So God wants to speak specifically to you this moment because he knows exactly what you need in this moment. So we set our expectation to that place. You've heard me say it before that the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. So I want to encourage you to turn your expectation on and expect that God will speak a word in season to your situation and your circumstances and in the areas of your life where you're uncertain or unclear, the Spirit of God will give you clarity. That's one of the promises Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit is come or when the Holy Spirit has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That if you're unclear or uncertain, he will lead you into all truth. Okay, so here we are. We're in John chapter number 16. I'll read quickly verses 1 through 6, but where I want us to land is in verse 7. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words in red. Jesus is speaking and it reads in verse 1, beginning in verse 1, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to, to you because they have not known the Father nor me. These things I have told you that when the time comes, you may, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse number seven, the promise made. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Oh, I like that word. One translation says, it is to your benefit that I go. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. Jesus is talking about this magnificent exchange where he returns to the Father, and upon returning to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit. That word translated helper comes from the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos has a sevenfold meaning. It means comforter, counselor, intercessor, advocate, standby, and helper. That's who you and I have in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. It is for your benefit that I go, because if I do not go, Holy Spirit will not come. Malcolm Gladwell said it this way, that success is the result of accumulated advantages. Why does a person succeed in life? A person succeeds in life because they accumulate advantages. And one of the advantages we have as born-again believers is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because now we have someone who can counsel us, comfort us, intercede on our behalf, and here it is, who can help us. Sometimes in life you just need divine help. Sometimes in life you just need divine intervention. And what Jesus is saying is that your help is not going to be external, your help is going to be internal because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Hmm. You have to tap into this power that abides already in you. 
Now, this promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago when the church was born. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but I would be remiss if I didn't back it up to about Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Are y'all with me still? Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Let me back it up even further to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, and then we'll get to verse number 8. Uh, these are the words of Luke. Luke was a physician who also authored the Gospel of Luke. And what is notable about the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is the fact that both of these writings are very detailed. This is coming from the perspective of someone who was a physician. So he is very methodical, he is very precise, and he is very strategic in everything he writes as he captures the story of Jesus, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but secondly, in the book of Acts. So this is a physician, a doctor, and this is what he says. He says, the former account, speaking of the gospel of Luke, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So what he's saying to Theophilus is, listen, you already know I've written this record of what Jesus did in the gospel of Luke. I'm about to write this second record, and it's going to be a record of not only the acts of the apostles, but more specifically, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Meaning, what we see manifest in and through the lives of these men is not a power that is their own. It is the power of God at work in them. Listen to me, there ought to be evidence in our lives that we walk with God. When you read Acts chapter 4, when, when, the, when the apostles were confronted by the Sanhedrin, they said they looked at them and they said, listen, these guys are unlearned men. But then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't men of high pedigree. They weren't men from noble families. They were ordinary fishermen and tax collectors and people who didn't really have a, a reputation. But they said, hold up. What sets them apart is that it is evident they have been with Jesus. When people walk away from an encounter with you, is that what they remember about you? Wow, Tommy King has been with Jesus. Everywhere these guys went, when people walked away from them and said, wow, this guy's been with God. And that's what our lives begin to look like when we allow the Holy Spirit to activate. God will take your ordinary. God will take your normal. And he will make it extraordinary. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. And so, 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 so Theophilus is, is setting up what he's about to write. And notice what he says. And he says, Uh, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom here it is verse 3 I talked about this last week it bears repeating right because if you do the math Jesus was crucified and he rose on what the third day but what happened after Jesus rose up from the grave notice what verse 3 says It says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
You know what he said? He said for 40 days after Christ's resurrection, he appeared to them. And there are many infallible proofs for 40 days. Jesus said, if any of you doubted, here I am. I am risen from, from the dead, from the grave. And it happened over a 40-day period. And these were infallible proofs that Jesus was resurrected. resurrected. The same Jesus they saw on the cross that they put in a tomb for 40 days. He appeared to them and said, I'm alive. And the scripture says they were infallible, indisputable, undeniable proofs that Jesus was alive for 40 days. And then Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I'm going away. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go out preaching. Don't go out doing nothing until you receive power from on high. Now say this with me. Understand the plan, Understand the plan. Follow, the pattern, follow the pattern, receive the promise. Receive the promise. Mm -hmm. Let's say that one more time. Yeah. That's good for my soul yes. to hear myself say it and to hear you say it back to me. Right? So here it is. Understand the plan, Understand the plan. Follow, the pattern, follow the pattern, receive the promise. Receive the promise. Why was it important for Jesus to instruct his disciples, don't go out preaching nothing to nobody without power. Because we see the pattern. In Genesis chapter 1, God doesn't even speak until the Spirit of God hovers upon the deep. Hmm? Then God says, let there be light. Not only that, Jesus doesn't start proclaiming the gospel and his earthly ministry doesn't begin until the Holy Spirit comes upon him at his baptism. Hmm? And notice what he's saying. He's saying if it was good enough at creation and if it was good enough at the, 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 the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry, it is absolutely necessary for his church because that is the pattern of God. Are you with me? And Jesus was saying to them, you have walked with me for three and a half years, but don't go out saying nothing about me in my name until you receive my power to do it. Are you listening to me? Okay. So in Acts chapter one, which is 10 days later, Approximately 50 days after the resurrection, he, re he, he resurrects from the dead. He appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days. He says, tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, which was now approximately 10 days. So 40 and 10, approximately 50 days after the Passover is when they celebrated Pentecost which is where we get penta, which means five, you know, pentagon, it means five. Pentecost, approximately 50 days after Passover, the church was born. Now, listen, I, I, let me read this other verse to you because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Right? Luke said, Jesus gave many infallible proofs that he was alive. Here's one of them. Let me just read it to you quickly. This is not in my notes. I'm calling an audible for all you football fans. Oh, man. Oh, where is it? 
Come on, Jesus. Help Pastor Ray. Yeah, Holy Spirit activates, somebody said. Yeah, here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. This is one of the many infallible proofs of his resurrection. You know that he appeared uh, at the tomb to Mary Magdalene and the women that came to the, the tomb to anoint him with spices. You know that he appeared to the disciples. You know that he appeared to Thomas and said, put your finger in my side and put your, your hand in, my, in the nail prints on my feet and in my hand after his resurrection. Here's one of my favorites. Here's one of my favorites. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6. It wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to share this with you. Infallible proofs that he was, in fact, resurrected. Look at verse 6. It says, and after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. What was he saying? He's saying... After Jesus rose from the dead, at one point he appeared to up to 500 people. It was 500 people in one service. And he said, listen, if you ever doubt or you ever question that Jesus is alive, there are many of them who are still alive who were there when Jesus appeared to the 500. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? So Jesus said to them, don't go out and preach until you receive Holy Spirit power. Now, that was the promise made. Here's the promise fulfilled, and then we're going to talk about why it is important or creating environments where the Holy Spirit can abide and we can see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest and find expression in and through our lives. The promise made uh, continues in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's how it reads in the Amplified and I like it because it gives us deeper understanding. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 from the Amplified says, but you shall receive power. Woo! I love it. And this is what it says. Ability. Here's the word I like. Efficiency. And might. He will give you ability, he will give you efficiency, and he will give you might. Come on, somebody. I don't know if y'all picking up what I'm putting down. Because listen, what the Holy Ghost will do, he will not only enable you, but he will make you efficient. I love basketball. I love watching basketball. And one of the things they talk about, about the players, when they talk about how good they are, is not only their productivity, but their efficiency. Let me tell you what I mean. For all the Kobe Bryant fans, y'all can put your stones down right now. I love Kobe. He was productive because of the number of points he put on the board. But he wasn't the most efficient player. Because in order to score 30 points, sometimes he had to shoot over 30 shots. No, y'all not listening to what I'm saying. Most of us look at the productivity and say, okay, he scored 30 points. He may have averaged, you know, 28 plus points or whatever, but what did he have to do in order to reach that milestone? Y'all see what I'm saying? What are you doing in your life where you are working hard instead of working smart? You're getting the job done, but it's taking a lot more out of you than it should. And the scripture says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're not only going to be productive, you're going to be efficient. You're going to do more with less. Yeah. That is efficiency. Amen. Whoa. 
So if Kobe Bryant scores 30 points, but it took him 30 shots to score 30 points, and Steph Curry scores 30 points, but he did it with 15 shots, who more efficient? Equal productivity, different levels of efficiency. And the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will not only give you the ability, he will not only give you might, but he will make you more efficient at what you do. Listen to me. Y'all ready for this? Effectiveness, effectiveness is doing the right thing. Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing. But efficiency is doing things right. So what are you talking about, Pastor Reed? Okay. Let's see. I don't know. I should have thought about this an example first. <laughs> but I'm going to come off the dome. Let's see. Uh, at your job. The right thing to do is somebody comes in, whoever's in first, they make coffee. It's the right thing. Right? But some people on your job, on your team, don't know how to make coffee right. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing poorly. That's a good example because y'all love your coffee. You're like, don't mess with my coffee. You know the right thing to do, but you're not efficient at it. And the scripture says, Holy Spirit, on the inside of you will give you sweatless victories. Listen to me. The priests in the tabernacle, you know what they commanded them to wear as they served in the tabernacle? They wore linen. And it was a picture of their service to God was supposed to be effortless. They weren't supposed to sweat as they served God. Are you understand what I'm saying? This is the kind of power that's available. So he's saying to the disciples, don't go until you receive this power. Dunamis, dynamite, explosive power, listen to me, that will give you ability, efficiency, come on somebody, and might. Now, the word efficiency is defined as the ability to, I love it, the ability to accomplish something with the least waste of time and effort. Come on, how many of you can use some efficiency in your life? To accomplish a task, to accomplish a thing with the least waste of time and effort. Competence in performance and productivity. Now, notice the words of uh, Jane Gilchrist uh, Lawson, who said, No great work has ever been accomplished except through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the great executive of God, carrying out the will of God in all things. Y'all see that? Nothing great that God has accomplished in the earth has been done apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to follow the pattern at creation. Holy Spirit is hovering over chaos. At the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, Holy Spirit comes upon him. And that's why the Bible says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. How did he do it? He was anointed 
with the Holy Ghost and power, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. If Jesus was anointed, the Son of God, how much more do we need to be anointed to do what God has called us to do? And how many of us just go through life not even tapping into the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit? Are y'all tracking with me? Hmm? I'm telling you, man, say this with me. Holy Spirit, activate. I'm telling you, there, there are some things that have become that are struggles and laborious for you, and the Spirit of God in you is saying, Do you need help with that? He is Parakletos, helper. I understand what I'm saying. You and I don't have to do this in our own strength and ability. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, what does that look like, though, in very practical terms, right? Because I want my life to be a place where the Holy Spirit abides and the Holy Spirit is activated. So we talk about it. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is activated in the life of a believer? Let's look at the pattern in Scripture, all right? I'm not just going to pull a pattern out of my hat. But on the day of Pentecost, notice the pattern. Notice the pattern. Uh, where God poured out his spirit. So we talked about the promise made. Let's talk about the promise fulfilled. Here it is. The promise was fulfilled on, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Promise made, John 16, Acts chapter 1. Promise fulfilled, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. Woo, let me read it to you. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I'm about to get excited. I am about to get excited. It says, listen, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Listen, just stop right there. That's a miracle in and of itself. That they were all in one accord in one place. You know how hard it is for 150, 120 people to pull in the same direction? without anybody inserting their agenda, without anybody inserting their opinion, for 120 people to be on the same page, listen to it, for at least 10 days, in the same place. Yeah. How many of y'all have ever been on a road trip? I ain't going to say 120, I'm talking about just a four, four, four people in one car. Enough said. No, that's a miracle. 120 people in the upper room. And suddenly, come on somebody, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. Hey! And one sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all. Oh. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hey, listen, over the next several weeks, we're going to get into some stuff, man. It's going to be a game changer. I'm telling you, I'm, going, I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer. 
But let's look at the pattern. Let's look at the pattern here real quick. How do I create space in my life that is conducive to the abiding presence of God, where I can experience Pentecost on a regular basis, meaning the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Listen to me. If Jesus thought it was necessary for the early church, I'll get to that here in a second. I'll get to that here in a second. If I'm going to create space in my life that is conducive to the abiding presence of God, I have to make room. Here it is. Number one. Number one. Here's the pattern in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number one. I have to make room in my life. And this is so important that we personalize it. Yeah, we want to see revival in our churches. We want to see revival in our nation. We want to see revival in our schools. But listen, it starts with revival in you and me. How do I personalize Pentecost? Where Pentecost becomes a reality for me. Here it is. Number one, I have to, number one, first and foremost, make room for the sovereignty of God. I said, Pastor Ray, man, I thought you were coming for something better than that. No, that is the genesis of all things. Until you and I make room for the sovereignty of God, we won't experience the fullness of God. You say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Most of us want God's results doing things our way. Doesn't happen. It will never happen. And that's why the wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs 16 said, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. You know what he means by that? There is a way in our lives that seems right. You can be fully convinced of your opinion, of your agenda. But how many of you realize that you can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong? And until you and I submit and yield to the sovereignty of God and say, God, your will, nothing more, nothing else, and nothing less, we won't experience Pentecost. Because God only shows up where he has the final word. God only shows up where he is first. Not where you make your plans and ask God to bless him. And when did the Holy Spirit show up? Not when they wanted him to show up. He showed up when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In the fullness of time, according to God's timetable, not theirs. And most of us miss Pentecost in our lives because we think that sometimes God's delays are denials. But they're not. They're not. It's because God only works in the fullness of time. And there are decisions. Listen to me. There are decisions 
that affect, listen to me, that affect the dreams in your heart that sometimes don't happen in isolation. Sometimes the delay isn't because of what God isn't doing. Sometimes it's because there are people connected to your destiny that aren't doing what God told them to do. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? This thing has been an 11-year journey for us to get to where we are, where we're about to get into a building. God did the miracle for us. But he did the miracle through the hands of a man. But God had to prepare the man. He had to grow the man. He had to develop the man. He had to bless the man so he could do for us what God needed him to do for us. And it wasn't that God didn't want to do it. God in his sovereignty said, this is how I'm going to do it. And the way I'm going to do it is it's going to require somebody to have the wherewithal for me to do it through them. And it will happen when that person is ready. Are you understand what I'm saying? There are delays that you are experiencing in your life. Not because God isn't at work, but there are things that are coordinated and it requires Jesus said it this way in Luke. Give and it shall be given to you, right? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will God give into your bosom? No, it didn't say God will give into your bosom. It says men. Listen to me. When I give, God doesn't rain down money from heaven. Because if he rained down money from heaven, it would be counterfeit. How does God do it? He does it through the hands of men. Let me put it in perspective for you. How many, how many times in your own life personally have you had like a little nudge, a prompting to, to call somebody or do something for somebody? And you didn't do it immediately. You did it the next day or the day after that or the following week or two weeks later. You know what you did? You delayed God's provision for that person through you. When that person prayed, God made you an answer to their prayer. But you didn't respond. So the answer was delayed. Not because God didn't hear your prayers, but because sometimes other people are connected to your breakthrough. Are you understand what I'm saying? So you and I have to learn to yield to God's sovereignty. He doesn't do it on my timetable. He doesn't do it according to my schedule. Listen to me. What does that mean? You and I, listen, uh, not only have to obey God, but we have to be quick to obey God. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. And not only is delayed obedience disobedience, you're holding up from others what God wants to do through you. 
listen to me, you are God's answer to a problem that exists somewhere in the world right now. And when you show up, not a raggedy version of yourself, but your best self, you become God's answer to a need that exists in the earth right now. In this church, in your family, in the marketplace, and in the public square. Are you listening to what I'm saying? First condition that is conducive for the presence of God in the life of the believer is for me to say, God, you're sovereign, and you have the final word. You have the last say. Notice Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 1. This is from the voice translation. It says, people go about making their plans, but the eternal one has the final word. Make room in your life for the sovereignty of God. This is the pattern of God. This is the pattern of God. There's a reason that Jesus was on earth 12 years old and he already knew that he had to be about his father's business. But he waited 18 years until he was 30 before he went public. That's the sovereignty of God. That is the fullness of time. Most of us would have said at 12 years old, I'm starting my worldwide ministry. I'm the smartest person in this temple. I'm asking questions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teacher of the Lord that they can't answer. Uh, I'm about to start my church. And God kept Jesus in obscurity for 18 more years and Jesus yielded to that are y'all with me now when we position ourselves where we are aligned with God's sovereign plan guess what guess what happens next suddenly happens suddenly notice when the day of Pentecost had fully come they were all in one accord in one place and suddenly and suddenly uh, 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 I'm sorry I, I, I jumped ahead of myself no I'll just go in that order suddenly it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole, whole house where they were sitting. Can, can, can I just say this to you? Sometimes God's interruptions are disguised as life's disruptions. Hmm? Sometimes God's interruptions and God's interventions are disguised as life's disruptions. Come on, somebody. Listen, sometimes the thing that you despise most is the very thing that God will use to get you to where you're supposed to be. Joseph's brother's betrayal was the conduit that God used to get him to Egypt. Y'all not listening to what I'm saying. You see, you see, most of the, we put the wrong, listen, we put the wrong frame around what we went through. And it wasn't until much later in Joseph's life that he put his life in the proper perspective and he said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for my good. When you threw me in that pit and sold me as a slave, you thought it was going to undo me. Yeah, you thought it was going to destroy me. But God used it to develop me. The suddenlies of God. Sometimes when God shows up and you experience life's disruptions, come on, put the right frame around it. 
You know, one of my favorite things in Scripture that I love about God and Adam, you know, when God and Adam were cool? Before the whole... See? Y'all know why I don't deal with Apple. You know, God and, and, you know, God and Adam were cool until Apple... You see, if Adam had an android, none of this would have happened. That's good theology right there. That's not good theology? Really not. Okay. Listen, listen, listen. When you go back to Genesis, one of the things I love, Brian, is the scripture says that God calls all the animals to come before Adam. And whatever Adam named it, that's what it was. Say, Pastor, what I got to do with anything? Listen, whatever you name your situation and your circumstance is what it becomes to you. Whatever you name, listen to me, whatever you're going through now, whatever name you put on it, it's what it becomes to you. So when the, when, the, when the trial comes and you put a label, oh, Satan trying to kill me. This was this. this whatever box you put it in is what it becomes to you. But when you look at your life and put it in the proper perspective, listen to me, and you put it in the proper frame like Joseph did, he said, I could call this my brother's evil ways. But you know what he called it? He called it God working things out for my good. Hmm? The suddenlies of God look like life's disruptions, but they're really divine intervention. Let me tell you something. I, I got to say this to somebody. Huh? Uh, you can't conquer it until you confront it. Hmm? But you can't confront it until you identify it. And one of the ways you identify it is you have to define it. And the way you define it is you give it a name. And there are chapters, listen to me, there are chapters of your life that are still haunting you because you have mislabeled them. I thought I was preaching to Converge Church this morning. <laughs> Listen to me. That problem that is still hovering over you, that, still, that you're still tethered to, attached to, it happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, is still haunting you because you mislabeled it. Because whatever you call it, that's what it becomes to you. Okay. Okay. Uh, number three, I'll talk about creating an atmosphere where Holy Spirit can abide. Hmm? Number three, uh, surrender and submission. Because all these things go hand in hand. Now, now, the surrender and submission part is that they were all together in one accord in one place. That requires surrender and submission when nobody is trying to push their agenda above the other person's agenda, putting self first, putting me first. They, they, listen, in Romans chapter 12, it says, I'll do one another in showing honor. 
not verse Listen to me. Outdo each other in showing honor. You know, I'm going to put you first. Not me. You go first. I'm going to honor you. And can I just say this about honor? Honor is something we show others. Not because of how they've been. But it's something we choose to show because of who we are. That means I can still be honorable to others when they have been dishonorable to me. Because my choice to honor them is not dictated by their dishonor. It's dictated by the fact that I choose to be honorable. And that's why the scripture says that Jabez's distinction above his brothers was that he was an honorable man. Even though he was named Pain. Can you imagine having your baby? And naming your baby Pain? And Jabez going through his whole life and everybody called him Pain? In his entire life, he was identified by a painful, traumatic experience at birth that he had no control over. But that was the label that they gave him. Yet in spite of that label, his testimony was that he was an honorable man. He chose to be honorable even when others had been dishonorable to him. Jesus, help me. Let me get through this message. You see, the truth is most people want the will of God for their lives, but they are unwilling to submit their lives to the will of God. We want the will of God. We don't want the wheel of God. Wheel of God. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the potter's wheel. Where Jesus takes your life like a lump of clay, slaps it on that wheel. Come on, deep tissue massage. That's my jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got knots all over. I, 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 got, I need somebody who can, like, yeah. That elbow, deep. But here's what I love about the wheel of God. The scripture says, can the clay say to the potter, what you making? Uh, you ever seen the clay on that wheel talking back? You're making me a bowl, but I really want to be a pot. And what we try to do, Tommy, is we try to trade our lives for somebody else's. And we say, God, I want your will for my life. And God says, my will for your life will require some time on my wheel. Mm -hmm. Because I got to work some things out of you before I can work some things into you. And we say, I want your will, God, but we ain't ready to get on the wheel. Uh-oh, here it is, here it is, here it is. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? People want their lives to be altered, transformed. They want their circumstances to change, but they are unwilling to alter their lives. A-L-T-A-R. We want our lives to be altered, A-L-T-E-R. Alter, change, better, transform, but we're unwilling to put our lives on the altar, A-L-T-A-R. That's surrender, and that is submission. And guess what? That's where the Holy Ghost showed up. I've got to make room for surrender and submission to the will of God. I'm talking about living a life where people say, ah, that girl Shavonda, that girl Cassie, that girl Joel, 
Hmm? Ziomata, Veronica, Jesse, Pat, Shelly. I'm looking at y'all, I'm forgetting your name. <laughs> Trey, Kendra. They've been with God. Because mm -hmm. it's just. How many of you realize that your life has a fragrance? Come on, somebody. That's what 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. I forget what it is. But it says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph, who diffuses the aroma of his presence everywhere we go. When you show up in the room, come on. What people smelling? Listen to me. <laughs> y'all like that. What, what people smelling when you show up? Because some of y'all showing up smelling like Brute 33. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many of y'all used to rock that Brute, though, back in the day? You see, I used to rock that Brute back in the day. All right, I got to wrap up. I got to send you home. Listen to me. I remember hearing this story, y'all. Y'all ready for this? I remember hearing this story, and I, I, I got to let y'all go. I remember hearing this story. Family uh, loved going camping. This one year, they went camping. Every morning they woke up, there was a dove outside on the porch. But being the kind of family that they were, they were just loud and boisterous. And as soon as they started to make noise, the dove would fly away. Said, so, oh, we wish the dove would stay and hang around. And day after day, they realized that whenever they were being themselves, loud and boisterous, the dove would fly away. And then one day, the youngest, the youngest child in the family said, guys, listen, 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 let's just be quiet and let's just see what happens. So they just went outside and sat quietly and whispered to each other, still had conversation, still had their family time, but they whispered and the dove stayed. And day after day, the dove came closer and closer. And they even started to feed the dove, and the dove stayed with the family. You see, what happened in that moment was this family realized that the dove wasn't going to adjust to them. They had to adjust to the dove. And one of the mistakes we make is we think God adjusts to us. When God says, the longer you adjust to me, the longer I stay, and the closer I get. One of the things that we've lost sight of is the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. How sensitive he is. A lot like that dove. And that's why the scripture says, do not grieve, <coughs> do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That word means to extinguish, one of the meanings of the word grieve. And when you read all the things that surround that verse, it's things like unforgiveness. It's things like malice. It's things like slander. All around that, that phrase, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, don't extinguish the Holy Spirit's power in your life, it had to do with unhealthy, toxic, relational emotions. And God says the problem with my church is they haven't 
developed an appreciation for my sensitivity. Because as long as you harbor unforgiveness and jealousy and malice, it's like he, even though he abides with us, but we extinguish his fire in our lives. And what submission and surrender, when we make room through submission and surrender, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, I'm a loud, noisy family. But if I want this dove, if I want the presence of Holy Spirit, he doesn't adjust to me. I adjust to him. All right. I got to send you home, but here it is. Here it is. What's that, number three? Number four. I have to make room for the supernatural in my life. Ah. We're going to talk about this some more in the weeks to come. I'm just going to read this and let you go home. But we have to make room for the supernatural in our lives. You know, there's, there's two schools of thought in the church. There are those who claim to be cessationists. And cessationist means, or it means to cease or to stop or to end. And these are people who believe that the gifts of the Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders ceased during the apostolic era. So when the last apostle died, then God stopped doing miracles. He just stopped. He stopped speaking to his people and he stopped doing all these miraculous signs and wonders. They are cessationists. Then there's the other school of thought. They are continuationists. And continuationists subscribe to the idea that God is still doing today what he did back then. Now, let me inform you here at Converge Church that we are continuationists. And I will show you in the weeks to come that throughout church history, from the day of Pentecost till today, God was moving in the lives of his people, a documented historical evidence that God continued to move among his people. And listen to me, we live in a day and time when we need to live supernaturally. MC Hammer said, we got to pray just to make it. Just to make it today. How many of you realize that prayer is supernatural? Prayer invites the supernatural into our lives. So here it is. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. One sat upon uh, each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, as Holy Spirit gave them. A.B. Simpson said it this way, the religion of the Bible is wholly supernatural. That means from cover to cover, it is a book filled with narratives and chronicles of the supernatural. We're going to get into it. Reinhard Bonnke said it this way, to be blunt, Christianity is either supernatural or nothing at all. We had and still have a supernatural Jesus with a supernatural ministry, creating a supernatural church with a supernatural gospel and a supernatural Bible. Take the miraculous away and you have taken Christ the life of the Christian away completely. The, the, uh, if you take away the supernatural, the church becomes an ethical society or just a social club when it is intended to be the grid system for transmitting the power of God into this powerless word, world. We are that grid system. You and I are conductors of God's power to the world. Notice what Paul said, and I promise you I'm about to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice these are the words of Paul. This is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And this is what Paul said. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, and my speech and my preaching were not just with persuasive words of human wisdom, but it came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's what Paul said. And Paul said, if all we're doing is speaking persuasive words, intellectual words, and they are devoid of power, people are going to put their faith in our words and not in the power of God. Last thing, make room for the supernatural, but also make room for the strategic, strategic. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. Notice when the day of Pentecost had fully come, why did God choose to pour out the Spirit on that particular day? Acts chapter 2 and verse 5 says, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise of Pentecost, everybody, somebody say everybody, everybody came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Supernatural. These were people who had never learned the language, but 120 of them when the Holy Spirit came upon them. There were people from all around the world who were in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit came upon these 120 believers, God gave them supernatural utterance and they began to speak in the languages of all these people who had gathered from all these places from around the world. Notice what the scripture says. They were completely amazed and they say, how can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood amazed and they were perplexed. And they say, what can this mean? And they asked each other, why did God pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost when these people would have been there from all around the world? It's because God is strategic in everything that he does. Because in seeing this sign and this wonder, people from all around the world who hadn't believed on Jesus because of the supernatural, at a strategic moment would believe. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means, about the gifts of the Spirit in the weeks to come. But this is my final statement, and this is uh, from one of the church fathers that most of us love, revere, and respect, Charles Spurgeon. Notice what Spurgeon says. He says, I see no reason why we should not have a Pentecost greater than Peter saw. You know what he'll say? He said, I see no reason why God can't pour out his spirit in greater measure than the day of Pentecost. We have the same Christ. Remember that. The times are changed, but Jesus is the eternal and time touches him not. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us our own personal Pentecost. That God, we would make room in our lives for your sovereign move for the suddenlies of God, that we would be submitted and surrendered to your will, that we would make room for the supernatural, and that God, we will understand that you are strategic in everything that you do. 
So Lord, as we make room in our lives, we thank you that there will be evidence of your presence, the inworking and the outworking of the Holy Spirit in everything we do and everywhere we go. Father, we thank you not only for ability, not only for might, but we thank you, Lord, that this week, as we leave this place, you will make us efficient everywhere we go, in our relationships, in our marriages, in the marketplace, in the public square, one-on-one, -on -one, in large crowds, everywhere we go, we will declare Holy Spirit activate, and we will tap into and lean upon the greater one who lives within us. Because your word declares, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Father, we thank you for these ghost stories that we find in scripture. So Father, as we make ourselves more familiar with what you've done in the past, I pray God that it will cause faith to rise in our hearts for what you desire to do in the present and in the future because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for it now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Glory to God. Did that help anybody? Amen. Listen, we're going to go deeper and listen. The Lord's already given me our Father's Day message. I don't want the women to tune out because it's going to be a message for everybody, but it's going to be a very specific message for the men of the house, the fathers in the house. Three words, act like men. And it's going to be a message that comes from the Old Testament, but we're going to see the power of God, the Spirit of God at work in a man who was a leader ah, who missed the mark. Listen, uh, tell your husband, tell your brother, tell your son, tell your nephew, they need to be here next week for baby dedications. I think we got about four or five baby dedications next week. Next week, we're super excited about that. Suits and sneakers be in the house for baby dedications. And we're also going to have pictures. And forgive me, Mother's Day, I think somehow we missed that. We had a logistical challenge. So moms, come fly because we're going to be taking pictures not only of the fathers and the men in the house, we're going to be celebrating all the amazing women that stand side by side with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So come looking cute. And fellas, come looking fly. Coquetso, why don't you come? Awesome. I hope you heard it. Uh, understand the plan, follow the pattern, and receive the promise. Amen. All right, let us bless you out with hands lifted up to heaven. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord make his countenance to fall upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Were you in there or just out here? Okay, okay. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Okay. Hey, man, next time you...
If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we've got some information that we'd love to send you to help kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, please email us at echurch at weareconverged.com. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely by visiting www.weareconverged.com forward slash give. Or you can give via text by texting Converge Give along with the dollar amount that you'd like to donate to 77977. Also, you can find all this information on our mobile app. Simply search the app or the Play Store for Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.